the children can head out to Children's Church at this time where you guys have a lesson all prepared for you. We, though, who remain in here, we are going to continue talking about the spiritual exercises that we can uh, be participating in that are going to help us grow in our faith and uh, strengthen us uh, as Christians in our spirit. We've talked about a number of them. I'm not going to go through them all again, but last week we did talk about confession about how we are to uh, confess our sin to ourselves and God as well as confess our sin to each other, that we are supposed to uh, confess our faith both to ourself and God as well as to others. We talked about why each of those is necessary and why the scriptures advocate each one of those, uh, each one of those things. Confession, though, requires something else. It requires the next spiritual discipline that we're going to be talking about this morning, and it is a discipline. It is not something that just happens, and that is the spiritual discipline of fellowship. Now, normally fellowship is not something we would think of as a discipline, but it most certainly is. The church was made for relationship. It was made for family. So now last week we talked about confession. We read from uh, Hebrews 10. We're going to go back there, but we're going to continue the verse a little bit and see how these are connected. Starting in verse 23 of chapter 10, he says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The day, of course, being the day of judgment, that the world gets darker right before the end, and we are going to need each other. But you notice he moves right from the confession that we share with each other, and he connects that confession with the fellowship. Now, I, right there it says, right, uh, uh, do not neglect meeting together as some is, are in the habit of doing. And inevitably, when I was a kid and that passage came up, I knew what the lesson was on. It was a nice lesson on the importance of attendance at church to those who were already fully attending church. So those who showed up were reminded why they were supposed to show up in the first place, and those that needed to hear it didn't hear it at all because <laughs> they weren't there. And I don't think that's what this is about. I want you to connect confession with fellowship. I want to change the way this morning that we think about it because it is the fellowship that allows our confession. It is the fellowship that allows us for healing. It is the fellowship which strengthens our faith, and it is the fellowship which is necessary for growing in love. Now, I've had people tell me I don't want to go to church because, and I'm talking forever, people who refused when they were a kid, they went and they wouldn't go anymore because they said, oh, it's just a bunch of hypocrites. Yeah, we are. We are sinful, hypocritical people who are trying to be different. So you fit right in. That's kind of the attitude. That's my attitude. You, you fit right in. But listen, I want you to understand, if the church was filled with people that you completely got along with, where would be the need for love? Christ said, if you love those that love you, what credit to you is that? You only grow in love when you have to put up with things uh, in people that you don't like. 
Marriage has taught me that. I love you, hon. But it's taught me. Love is not always, it's not mostly found in the agreements. It's found in the disagreements. That's where love is. So the fellowship is, you want to grow in love, you've got to be around people that are going to stir it up. The church helps us grow in love. The church fellowship, I mean, we do good works when we're together, right? We worship when we're together. But listen, man, this is going to be hard. Fellowship is, it is not being in proximity with each other. We do not have fellowship this morning because we left our homes and we all happen to be at the same uh, uh, coordinates. We do not have fellowship because we sang the same songs. We do not have fellowship because we read the same book. We do not have fellowship because we are sitting in the same room. You don't even have fellowship if you're sitting so close to the person next to you that you're touching elbows. That doesn't make fellowship. Fellowship, it's not the singing. It isn't even doing our service together. What we have done, church, is we have taken fellowship and we have allowed the world's concept of fellowship to come in here. We have relegated the church into a fraternal order. The Rotary Club, the Eagles, all of these different groups are people who gather together with common ideas, common goals, and they do service projects together. Some of them even have songs that they'll sing together. There isn't much difference between most American churches and these fraternal organizations you can become a part of. But shouldn't there be a difference? Shouldn't there be something inside the body of Christ that is different than being an eagle? If you're an eagle, I apologize because that's the only one I can think of this morning. Elks! There's another one. No, fellowship is something different than doing things or believing things or even being together. So, to me, it's not a surprise when people look at the church and they say, what am I missing? What am I missing? You're not doing anything. I mean, it's no different than anywhere else. So I want to restore its power today. I want us to recapture, reclaim what fellowship really is. Because if the church actually had true Christian fellowship, you would never ever hear a preacher having to do an attendance sermon. No one would want to miss. In Romans chapter 12, you can read this later. I'm not going to go through all of this. There's this uh, section that uh, has been titled, it's not, it's titled, Marks of the True Christian, where he talks about, let, let love be genuine, rejoice in hope, be fervent in spirit, be, be slothful, do not be slothful in zeal. He talks about living in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, associate with people less than yourself, do not be wise in your own sight, repay no one evil for evil. He goes through all of this list of what it means to be a family. 
right? He goes through this list of what it means to be together. But there's one verse that I think sums it all up, verse 15. We'll put this up there. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You want fellowship? You want real, meaningful relationships? You rejoice with those who rejoice. You weep with those who weep. All the others are based on this. Paul is telling us that true Christian fellowship comes when you put yourself in another person's shoe. When you examine where they are, you try to understand why they are the way they are. You try to understand what it is they're going through that is driving, whether it is success or whether it is failures. What is it that is making them the way they are? Because when you and I, we understand each other, then we can serve each other. How do you forgive someone when you do not understand what it is that they're going through? You cannot appreciate it. No, what happens is when we do not associate with people, when we do not rejoice with those who rejoice, when we do not weep with those who weep, what we do is we actually look down on people. We look at someone and say, well, their life's a mess because they made it a mess. Look at the choices they made. Stop. Get on their level where they are. Understand why they're in that situation. Connect with them and you will find mercy. Understand what it is that excites their heart. What is it that draws them? What do they need? This passage, to me, becomes the defining passage of what fellowship is, and I want to explain this. We're going to start with the second half. Our first half is going to be based on the second half. We're going to talk about weeping with those who weep. There is a word for this in the Bible. It starts with an L. What is it? I heard it. What? Lamentations. Right? How many times have you heard a sermon on lamenting? Anyone? I'm just curious, because I don't think I have. There's a book of the Bible named after it. It's got to be pretty significant. What is lamentation? What is this thing? It's weeping with those who weep. Lamenting carries with it, though, the impression, the understanding, the connotation. It is beyond sadness. It isn't sadness. It's beyond sadness. It isn't just sorrow. It is beyond sorrow. It is something in and of itself. And I'm going to warn you, we have been taught to, and it's always from Satan. That's what gets me is we, 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 we get taught this and we think that, oh, that, that's the right thing. And it isn't. It's always from Satan because he's trying to get us not to do what God designed us to do. We men, I'm going to talk to us for a minute, we have been taught and trained. We have been taught and trained that it is weakness to show our emotion. We shouldn't show our emotion. We've got to lock it behind. I can remember watching my grandfather, he hit his thumb, hurt himself really bad, and I can remember the tear forming in his eye, and boy, did he wish he could sniff it back in. If he could have, he would have. 
Because he did not want to show any weakness. He didn't want to show any sadness. He did not want to show that anything got to him. He was tougher than that. Folks, <laughs> the desire to hide emotion, or even more importantly, deny emotion, that's ungodly. Lamentation is the opposite. The opposite. Lamentation is embracing and expressing sorrow. We'll put that up on the screen. Lamentation is embracing and expressing sorrow. I don't deny it. I embrace it. We feel the way we feel. We need to express it. Now, we have to express it in a healthy way. There are healthy and unhealthy ways, right? Paul tells us in our anger, do not sin. He's not saying that you can't be angry. What he's saying is do not allow the emotion of anger to result in sin. So your sorrow should not result in sin. But you've got to express it. Otherwise, it stays inside. It builds up. In the Old Testament, we see the people, they gathered together and lamented many things. They lamented invasion. They lamented suffering. They lamented exile. They, they lamented their sin. They lamented their failing to remember God. They came together. They expressed their emotion. They expressed and shared their hurt in a corporate sense. And together, they let it out. Read the Old Testament and you tell me that lamentation was not a part of fellowship. They came together to lament. It's one of the reasons why, as we see the weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice, that's why, do you ever notice that almost all of their celebrations were one of two things? Fasting or feasting. All of their celebrations are either one or the other. God expected them to come together and to mourn, to remember. Now, Jesus, Jesus experienced this. Let's, let's look at Jesus. So here in John chapter 11, Jesus was off teaching, and, and some, uh, some messengers came and told him, and they said, Jesus, your, your best friend, I mean, it is his best friend that he had grown up with, Lazarus. He's back, and uh, he is sick, and he's going to die. And so they're like, Jesus, you got, you, you got to come. The disciples go, we got to go. Jesus says, no, we're going to wait. We're going to wait here. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. This isn't going to result in death. That's what he says. This isn't going to result in death. After four days, uh, Lazarus dies. And so once he dies, Jesus says to himself, hmm, okay, now we can go. So here's where we pick it up in verse 30. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in a place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid to him? They said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus 
Right after this, the, G, the Jews look and they say, boy, look, look at how he loved him. Because they thought it was his own sorrow. But we, we know. We know, from, we know from the beginning, right? Back uh, when he was out teaching, uh, they, they go, we got to go back and save him. He goes, nah, this isn't going to result in death. He knew what was going to happen. He knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to resurrect him. He knew it did not end in death. When he showed up, he was, he was not sad. He was there to bring his best friend back to life. This was a good time. But as he walks in, John makes it very clear to us. He saw Mary's grief. He saw Martha's grief. And he saw all the people that had gathered with her. They were sad. And he becomes overwhelmed. And he falls to his knees and he begins to wail. Not his own grief. He's crying for them. This is the nature of fellowship. Taking each other's burdens upon ourselves. Sharing those burdens so that people do not have to share it themselves. Men, I want to ask you, all of those who think a man isn't supposed to show emotion, was Jesus right or was Jesus wrong? Was he a girly man? Was he a wimp? Uh-uh. No, he... No one's stronger, and he breaks down on behalf of others and begins to cry. Lamentation is one of the purposes. It says that the entire town had gathered together. Why? To console her. They're crying because she's crying. They were the Why do we do funerals? I'm not saying anything that doesn't make perfect sense, because why do we do funerals? There's an empty body in a box, and we cart it around like it's something. We all know it's nothing. There's nothing there but, but decaying dust. We say nice things about them. Why? Because we think maybe they'll pop it open and be like, well, that was really sweet of you. Fantastic. Thank you. No. Who are we doing the service for? The family. They're hurting. And we feel a draw. We feel a need to go. We don't just sit back and, I mean, sometimes we feel obligated, but sometimes we, we feel, I've got to be there to support them. We use that word, to support them. No, what we're doing is we're going to carry the burden with them. In Galatians 6, 2, Paul tells us this is a part of what we're supposed to be doing. He says, bear one another's burdens and so Fulfill the law of Christ. You want to fulfill the law of Christ? Bear each other's burdens. We are designed, church, one of the things we are designed to do is to be a place where people, Christian, not Christian, doesn't matter, they can walk in here and share whatever burden they are carrying and we will take it upon ourselves and carry it with them. They do not have to do it alone. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So I'm going to put this up. I'm pretty proud of myself. Lamentation divides our grief. Lamentation divides our grief. You know it's true. I know it's true. We know it's true from experience. Why? If I'm sad and upset and it's overwhelming, 
if Jenny sees me hurting, she knows all she has to do is touch my back. We all know what it's like, right? In sadness, to have someone just reach out and touch us in that moment, and all of a sudden, part of the burden is gone. Have you ever had a hurt? That, we, we even say, we, 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 psychology is about sharing your burdens, sharing your pains, and in sharing them, somehow it lightens our load. It's how we're built. When I tell one person a hurt, a struggle, a sin, the sorrow of it, they take half of it. If I tell four people, they take 20% of it. With every person I tell, I carry less of a burden. I remember when I was 19, 20, and I was, I was under the burden and the sorrow of sin that I had committed, and I'm sitting in church, and I had tried, tried to take care of it myself because I was supposed to be a big, strong man now. I'm, in, I'm, I'm 20 years old. And I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. The weight, the burden on the back of my shoulders was too heavy. And I stood up and I walked up and I sat there and I dumped it on the church. I just poured it out and I said, here's what I've done. And here's what I'm going through. And here's the suffering I'm doing. And with every word that I said, I'm not kidding, I could feel it being taken off of my shoulders and placed upon every person that was in that room. And they prayed for me. I walked in with the guilt on myself. We walked out with that sin divided amongst us all. And all of a sudden, that burden that I was carrying, I could handle now. Because I was not carrying it alone. By nature, this is what Jesus did, right? He came to carry our. But the Romans passage didn't talk just about lamina uh, lamination. The Romans passage didn't just talk about Jesus sealing us uh, between two pieces of plastic. It doesn't just talk about lamentation. But it also talks about rejoicing with those who rejoice, otherwise known as celebration. When someone in the church experiences joy, when something good happens to them, we need to share it. It needs, the, the, the problem is we as human beings, we tend not to want to uh, hear good things about other people. It's so bizarre, right? Um, so, so Satan has convinced us, convinced us, when we're hurting, don't tell anybody, that makes us strong. When really, telling people alleviates the burden. When someone has joy, when someone has something good happen in their life, we get envious. We think, well, why do they have what I don't have? Why? I mean, I've even had this at times. I've looked at someone and been like, why is God blessing this person this way and he isn't blessing me this way? Why am I facing this struggle and they're not facing this struggle? It just doesn't matter. Now, Paul warns against this, talks about how bad that is for the body. He says in Galatians 5, 26, he says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. One of the quickest ways to destroy the f fellowship is by envying 
each other. We are supposed to not only share our burdens, but we are supposed to share our successes, not just our weaknesses, but also our strengths. Paul says it this way, summing it up, really, in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, he says this, he says, if one member suffers, all suffer together, but if one member is honored, all rejoice together. That's what we were created to be, a body, a family. When you hurt, I am supposed to hurt. And my trying to hide from it is destructive. And when things are great in your life, I need to come alongside of you and celebrate with you the amazing things that God is doing. When God's doing something amazing in your life, I want to hear it. I don't care if he isn't doing it in my life. I want to hear it. I want to know that my God is active and he's doing amazing things in people's lives. And what he's doing in my life may be different from your life, but when I share my joy, you share your joy, all of a sudden we've got a lot more joy than we had before. Jesus said in John 15, 11, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that, your, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Everything he did, was so that his joy could be imparted on them, so that they could be filled up. It's what he wants. So here, here's, here's the truth, right? Lamentations divides grief. Lamenting divides grief. But celebration multiplies joy. This is where I was really proud of myself this week when I came up with these words. Lamentation divides grief, but celebration multiplies our joy. And it only makes sense. I swear every, every, every teenage television show, inevitably, think of Phineas and Ferb or any of the Disney ones, you'll have two girls, and it's only because us men have been told not to show our emotions, but you'll inevitably have two. One goes, I got an A. You got an A. That's fantastic. All right, all right. They just you take each other all the way up to ridiculous. They go from zero to 100 instantly. Why? One person shares a joy, the other one gets excited, which makes the other one excited. Have you ever had that happen where something good was happening in your life and you thought it was kind of cool, you shared it with someone, they thought it was amazing, and you're like, wow, that, it is amazing, yeah, it's amazing. And all of a sudden, see, that's what happens, right? If I'm excited, you get excited. And then the more you get excited, the more excited I get that you're excited that I'm excited. And we just keep going up. It just multiplies and it increases. When we share our joy, it does. I mean, I have never had something good happen to me, gone to Jenny and be like, I had an amazing day today. Here's what happened. And ever suck half of it out. Never. It doesn't divide. It multiplies. Now we've got 200% joy, and it's exciting. Church, that's fellowship. That's fellowship. Think of the closest relationships you have in your life. I'm going to listen. Think of the closest friends you have, the closest relationships. I guarantee you, you have been through rough stuff with that person. You have been through hardship. You have been there for them. They have been there for you. Would you agree? Right? Every one of them, every close friendship you have. And I will also tell you that amazing things have happened and you've celebrated and partied with them. Here's what I want you to realize.
didn't weep with them when they were sad. You didn't celebrate with them when they were happy because you were good friends. The opposite is true. You are good friends because you were put into a circumstance at some point where you celebrated when they celebrated and were there when they were hurting. It is the lamenting and celebrating that forges the relationship, not the relationship that forges the lamenting and the celebrating. You ever come to church and feel like nobody knows you? You ever feel like there isn't a relationship? There isn't closeness? You show up, you're here. We're doing things together, but there's no relationship? The rela if you are waiting until you have close relationships to share your burdens and share your joys, you will miss out. The relationships, the fellowship, the closeness will not begin until you share the frustration and you share the joys. That's how it works. Now picture in your mind. A church where someone walked in the door. Everyone shared their burdens and everyone carried them together. And everyone shared the amazing things that God was doing in their life. Everyone did. church like that, preacher would never have to do an attendance sermon. Never. Because that's what we are built for. That's what a body does. Isn't that, isn't this just the relationship that Jesus created with us? Our sin and our grief, he took upon himself. He removed its power in us. He removed its burden in us. And yet has poured out upon all of us who have accepted him. He's not only removed the grief, but he has multiplied our joy. This is the nature. It's the nature of Christianity. I'm always conflicted when we do communion. Do you know why? Because I lament that he took my sin on him and he had to suffer on the cross, but at the same time, I'm really glad he did. It is the wholeness, the completeness of community, of communion, of, of, uh, of family, of body, of fellowship. Lamenting and celebrating. And the promise is, is that when any one of us comes and confesses our sin, the angels in heaven do what? Rejoice, lamenting, and celebrating. They go hand in hand. That invitation is offered to you this morning. If you're a Christian, 
Let's stop being afraid. If you've got, let me, let me carry your burden. I want to. That's my honor and my privilege as a Christian, as a brother. We want to carry burdens. Come and lay them down. If you have a joy to share, come up here and share it with us. Let it multiply in us. Let us walk out of here, not just celebrating what he's doing in you. Don't walk out of here holding in what God has done in your life. Let us all know. Let us all share. Let us all experience it. Or if you've never accepted Christ, the invitation is there. It's right there. I will take your sorrow, and I will multiply your joy. Let's stand. We're going to sing our song of invitation. If there's anything we can do to minister to you, let us do so this morning. Just come forward.